The Batteries Included podcast is brought to you with United Chargers. United Chargers presents the Grizzly range of EV chargers. There's the original Grizzly Classic, a powerful, heavy-duty, portable EV charging station built to withstand the toughest conditions. The Grizzly Duo, a dual-port unit designed to charge two vehicles at the same time. The Grizzly Mini, a small portable charging station built with an indoor-outdoor rated cast aluminium enclosure. And the Grizzly Smart, a revolutionary smart EV charger. All Grizzly chargers come with a convenient 24-foot cable and the ability to adjust the current from 16 amps all the way up to 40 amps. That's 9.6 kilowatts. Plus, they're IP67 rated. Built in Canada with the highest quality materials, order yours now at unitedchargers.com. That's unitedchargers.com. Hello, and welcome to the Batteries Included podcast. It's September the 22nd, 2023, and this is episode number four. Thank you very much for joining us. On today's show, we'll be talking about Toyota turning to Tesla-style mega-casting production. The 2024 Audi Q4 e-tron is getting an updated for 2024 in Europe. And uh, renting an electric panel van from Ryder. And of course, much, much more. I'm Dominic Yoni, host of the YouTube channel Drive Electric with Dominic. Joining us today is the eminent Mr. Tom Malogny, senior editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel, The State of Charge. And we also have the maestro, Mr. Martin Lee, from the EV News Daily podcast, which is available on all the best podcast platforms. Good morning and welcome, everybody. Good morning. So un- unfortunately, Kyle Connor from Outer Spec won't be with us this morning. He was We were supposed to have him, but the last minute cancellation, he's uh, actually in Europe with, a, with an automaker and uh, I guess plans changed at the last minute. And so, right, we're on our own today. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Tom Malogny, last week, uh, let's talk about uh, this Tesla situation, fire situation again. We, we talked about this last week uh, a bit, but... Uh, you shared some pictures and video of a Tesla Model 3 that caught fire after hitting some road debris. So this week, uh, you put out a video on your own channel about this car, this car BQ, as I like to say, <laughs> with lots more details. And uh, you also used it to highlight the difference in vehicle fire numbers between combustion cars and electrics. So I... So last week we didn't really talk get into those kind of uh, details at all, you know, just like the general overall situation with with fire and electric cars and combustion cars and different things. But you, you put together some information for this podcast, so I was just wondering, uh, what, what what can you tell us about that? <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, as I mentioned last week, we didn't really talk about it much last week, um, but uh, I went over some of the highlights. Uh, a good friend of mine's a captain at the Newark Fire Department, and. Um, uh, you know, he and I've talked about EVs for a while. And of course he always takes a look at it from the safety perspective, what's related to his job and electric vehicles are a problem for fire departments. They're, they're very difficult to put out. And uh, so as this was going on, he was like uh, on the scene, uh, but he's a captain. So he wasn't actively working on the fires. He was overseeing things, but he was, he's shooting me pictures and videos and saying, this thing just keeps going back on fire. We can't put it down. And this is what happens when we do these fires. We put it out and then 15, 20 minutes later, it starts smoking, smoldering. Then boom, the flame erupts again. And, uh, you know, he's complaining to me because I'm like Mr. EV around here. You know, he's like, you know, these things are taken up. They, they put our guys uh, uh, lives at risk more. They uh, use a lot more resources. And that's one of the things that, you know, when you're management in uh, fire departments or in any business, you're looking at resources a lot. And he's like, this thing costs us 
I think he said five times more than what it costs the department to put out a, a, a combustion vehicle fire uh, for a number of reasons. And it also is more dangerous. The, uh, the fumes that are emitted are more toxic than the fumes that are the toxic fumes that are admitted, emitted from a conventionally fueled vehicle. So, you know, we were talking a lot about this and that's what inspired me to say, Hey, you know, I hate perpetuating the the notion that EVs catch on fire more, which they don't. So I really was like, I don't know if I want to do an EV fire video or not. But then I said, well, you know, I'll try to maybe take this as a, a learning opportunity and talk a little bit about it. So what I did was in the first half of the video, I talked about this Tesla fire and how, you know, every time they knocked it down, it flared back up and how LFP batteries are a little bit better for fires because they have a, a higher uh, burning point where they enter thermal runaway, 500 degrees Fahrenheit versus 300 degrees. Uh, but I, I have to mention one thing. I did make a mistake in the video. I said that the Model 3 in the U.S. uses um, NCM battery packs, you know, the, the nickel, cobalt, manganese, uh, and they don't. They use that uh, chemistry for different vehicles and in China and so forth, but they use the the nickel, uh, cobalt, aluminum oxide for the Model 3 here in the U.S. So I always like to make it a point to correct myself when I make a mistake in the video. But that really wouldn't change anything that I said because um, the the NCM and the NCA cells act very similarly in fires. Uh, it's the LFP that seem to have a better resistance to thermal runaway and a higher uh, point when it when it spreads. But um, you know, so I, I I talked a lot about the the fire. Then I went into fire safety and about how EVs they they don't catch on fire more uh, regularly than uh, combustion vehicles. They actually the data so far is 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 much. Um, better than uh, conventionally fueled vehicles, but by an order of magnitude better. But there's one thing that we have to watch out for those statistics is the combustion vehicles that are in this pool of combustion vehicles that we have where they can say, you know, a fire for every million EVs on the, or cars on the road. A lot of those vehicles are very old and we don't have 25 year old EVs on the road that maybe the wires are starting to wear out or whatever, like what's happening with the, with the combustion vehicles. So, I urge people not to take the statistics we have today and say, well, this is, uh, you know, EVs are like 50 times less likely to catch fire than <laughs> that's my video. I had to do it. <laughs> uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, I, uh, my, my family owned a Ford Pinto in the seventies and I drove in the backseat of my parents Ford Ford Pinto for like six years. So I had to mention that, you know, I've been living on the edge my whole life. You know, if, if they'd have known how bad it was back then, we would have never bought a Pinto, but in any event, Gas cars do catch on fire more frequently than EVs, but when EVs catch on fire, they're very difficult to put out. Now, the good thing about putting out this video was I got a lot of feedback from followers about new products coming out. Like I talked about how conventional fire blankets don't work, um, but there's new fire blankets that are hitting the market now supposed to work better. Uh, but, you know, in my opinion, they haven't been fully vetted yet. So let's 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 hope that they, they work. But I don't understand how the fire blanket can prevent thermal runaway no matter how good the blanket is because the thermal when you go into thermal runaway the 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 cells become like self-sustaining the fires they create their own oxygen they create their own heat i don't know how being under a blanket will stop that maybe it'll just contain it i, I don't know but um that's one thing there's another company now that's coming out this with this uh, th this item I, I forget the proper terminology but you have to lift the car a little bit you wedge it under the car and it shoots it it high pressure water actually penetrates the battery pack like a jet stream and then it uh -huh. floods the battery pack with water now 
I, again, I'm not sure how that's going to work because a lot of the battery packs have individual modules that are purposely created so that you there won't be intrusion from module to module. So if 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 there's a thermal runaway event, I don't know how you'd have to get the per, the module that's on fire, you know. And I don't know how exactly that's going, but maybe we'll follow up, guys, and do some. Uh, a midweek show or something in the future and talk about EV fires and about maybe the new technology that's out there helping firefighters fight them better. But, yeah. One of the things um, I will ask you about Tom is I was really surprised because the comment section of our videos, uh, you know, the old place and over here as well, the comment section is a wonderful place to be. It's full of, uh, I think pretty you know, sensible grown up people. What I was surprised <laughs> about last week, we put the podcast out last week and immediately people some people, I'm in a minority, and I mean like two or three people, but we never really see negative comments on our, our videos, um, like we're immediately triggered and being like, you guys are just talking about fires for clicks. You know, you are, um, you know, you're just doing this for sensationalism. EVs are very safe. And I watched our video back last week at last week's podcast. I've just listened to what you said. At no point are we trying to scare the general public. Are we over-exaggerating or over-egging the pudding? We're, de- we're certainly not desperate for clicks on this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, that's not the business model of how we do this. So we're not desperate to get the eyeballs on a web page and then sell, you know, flog you sort of some little banner in the side side corner. So that's it, it confused me more than anything. Did you see any feedback in your personal inbox, your personal channel from people who didn't understand why we were hopefully having a sensible conversation about a real thing we didn't it wasn't saying oh imagine if evs caught fire let's all imagine what would then happen it was a real car a real thing happened a real family had to deal with this and still dealing with the aftermath and insurance companies i imagine so why not talk about it we weren't blowing it out of all proportion i don't think anyway did you get any of that sort of pushback on on your personal channels oh absolutely and you know, a lot of the comments I responded to by saying, did you watch the video? You know, because, yeah. you know, right. I think, you know, that I think that's what got some of the people going was that um, maybe the thumbnail has a picture of a car on fire and everybody feels feels that that you're automatically just putting that up there for clicks. And, you know, there is um, science to, to thumbnail, uh, putting thumbnails on. Yes. You know, as you mentioned, we're not dying. We don't get paid per click or anything like that. But, you know, if something will catch somebody's eye, I, I'm i not ashamed of putting that up on my thumbnail if I think it's going to create more um, uh, drive traffic. But then the, the content has to live for itself. You know, right. it's, it's actually pertinent, pertinent information. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very bad for our podcast and for, say, YouTube videos to have this awesome, flashy clickbait thumbnail but then people don't stay long. That's bad. So I would never, and we would never create a thumbnail that led people to our thing only to be disappointed by the content because then by them leaving quickly, then YouTube says this podcast or this video is something people are not interested in. Everyone that goes on there clicks on the thumbnail, but then they watch for 30 seconds and they leave. So, you know, I think people don't understand really how that works, but I'm not ashamed to say that I'll make a thumbnail that will get someone's attention. And I think that's what some of the comments were, Martin. Yeah. And I don't think there's any problem talking about the negatives of EVs. Uh, I would point out that some, you know, you were in the early mini lease program, the early I3 program. You educate people week in, week out on charger safety, which is the best charger to get. Here's how to be safe at home with electrical things. Like nobody that I know in the United States has done more 
to sell the benefits of electric vehicles and to help people make the right consumer decisions and than than Tom and over a, an extended period of time. So some of those comments of, oh, oh no, you guys don't understand. EVs are, don't catch fire. I'm like, well, it, we're not trying to blow this out of all proportion. And I felt like, in a way, people trying to shut down the conversation right. because they didn't agree with the topic matter that we shouldn't discuss things that are negative around EVs. Look, if the sales numbers go down, like over the last few months, the stock at US dealers has gone up and it actually exceeded ICE vehicles for a period of time. So we talked about that. We talked about how there's no waiting list to buy an EV now and dealers have got some stock. And again, you could think it's a negative story. I, I don't know if you do or not, but uh, but then compare that to the UAW strike of the last week. Well, all of a sudden, the automakers are saying, hey, we built up that stock because we knew we were going to go into protracted period of negotiations and people can still get their cars. So there's two sides to every coin. Um, I was surprised to see people think that we were, in a way, anti-EV by discussing a fire. But I like to have that conversation because we're all grown-ups. I mean, I can disagree with our viewers and still be their friend. That's okay. So that was interesting. Apart from that, really fascinating discussion. I know I learned a lot from your video, Tom. And uh, I think it's, uh, why not? Let's talk about the negatives as well as the positives. Yeah, exactly. And let's pull up Anders' comment that just made. So um, the narrative from fossil fuel fuel lobbies is in, is is danger. So don't feed that narrative if not important. Fires in cars are a non-story. So Anders, the reason why I chose to discuss this and, and continue to discuss it is because, uh, and while what you say, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, um, the, the fact that there are a lot of people out there that believe EVs are more dangerous yeah. because they catch on fire more frequently. So by us, talk, by, by avoiding it, we're not helping to dispel that myth. The myth is that EVs burst into fire. They're going to burn down your house. Gonna, yeah, you know what? That's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> on occasion, every type of you store a lot of energy any in any way to store it, right. and it's going to combust at some point. But we need to um, we need to offset the FUD and and explain that yeah, this is going to happen. But look, there, the data out there shows that it's going to happen less frequently. And and as a matter of fact, when an EV fire happens, typically you have more time to get out of the vehicle safely than you do with a combustion vehicle. So, you know, we have to point these things out. We can't just say, oh, it's a non-story, so we're not going to cover it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's doing the industry a service. Yeah, I, I was in the same boat as Anders this week, by the way, when the UK government pushed back the 2030 to 2035 date. And, and the world went nuts about it. And actually, I was in the same boat as Anders at the time. I was like, stop talking about it because it doesn't matter. Like, it just feeds this narrative of EVs are doomed. So, uh, and I, I I took a step back and thought, actually, it is an important topic. You have got to discuss it. So I know where he's coming from with that. I was like, everyone stop talking about it. Because I think, I think we'll be mostly EV by 2030 anyway in this country. Right. Um, That's a, I was going to bring that up. We're 20-25% already. So, right. and, uh, and just I, real, real, real quick, Martin, what was it? The 2030 to 2035, what was exactly that was changed there? So just three so, years for ago, people who don't know. Yeah, so three years ago, we said UK is going in 2030 uh, The all new vehicle sales. No one's taken away your petrol car that you bought on New Year's Eve on 2029. You can drive it for 15 years till 2045. But uh, the, on from, the, from 2030, all new passenger vehicles must have a reasonable amount of battery range. At the time, three years ago, our government, two years ago maybe, our government and the ministers didn't want to put a, a number on that. I think there was probably intense lobbying from the likes of 
Toyota who make um, sort of mild hybrids that, oh, actually, you know, a car can get to the end of the road 100 metres. That should be enough. Um, so I'm sure there was lobbying. They never, ever enshrined it in stone what significant battery mileage is. I suggested 100 miles. By 2030, battery technology should be, I've got a plug-in hybrid. It can do 100 miles. That would be cool. Uh, and then uh, this week, our prime minister, there's loads of issues around this, by the way, uh, because we don't have a presidency. So the prime minister ha- should have presented his plan to parliament first with parliamentary system. He didn't. He did like a presidential style speech. I gather mm. that's now being investigated and looked at. He may be hold over the coals for that. Um, he's a, he, he is maybe 15 points behind his competitor, the opposition leader, desperate to find any political embers that he can try and stir. And I think he just thought, look, there are some people out there who hate EVs. So I'll do this big fancy speech. We're putting it back to 2035. Um, and, uh, you know, we're saving hardworking families money. Well, look, hard work, you know, if you are, if you're paying your bills week to week, you're not buying new cars, are you? I I don't buy new cars. So I don't care about the the price of a new EV. I care about the price of an EV that's second, third, fourth hand. And if we stifle EVs now in 2030, there won't be any second, third, fourth hand ones. He's actually doing the opposite. And he hurt hardworking families buying cars the way they buy them. Because if you've got no money, you're not buying a brand new car, are you? So, uh, the whole thing was a mess. It was just, it just got torn apart. Ford, Ford was was brilliant, by the way. Um, and I haven't got it in front of me, but Ford just ripped into him. Um, and it was brilliant. Just took him apart. And I was Ford, like, Whoa. Ford Motor Company? That was punchy. Yeah. Let me, I, I know, I'm going to bring it up because it's brilliant. Um, okay. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, look, so we are now in line with the European Union, which is always right. 2035. Um, okay. Okay. Will it matter? No, he's going to lose next year. We'll either get a, an opposition government or a coalition government of sort of Labour, Lib Dems, Greens, or maybe just like, maybe completely Labour government, either way. And they've already said, if we win, we're putting it straight back in and we'll define what significant, it could be 20 miles or 50 miles, but just put right. a number on it and all the car makers will find a way to do it. Uh, and I could not find a single, that's a lie. Toyota came out and said they agree with it. It's pragmatic. All the car makers, Stellantis ripped into it. Ford, um, Kia were a little more reserved in the language. They call it like, disappointing that the UK isn't consistent. <laughs> disappointing um, is a strong word in, in corporate speak, though. Yeah, right. You know? so, let, let me find that for you and I'll put that up on Dis- screen in the Disappointed. Moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but to your point, though, I mean, it's, it's very likely that these dates don't matter at this point because you know, automakers already have, you know, uh, you know, uh, a timeline in their heads when they think they have because not just of the UK's laws, but the, also the EU and like California. And you know, we're, we're kind of it's like a you can't really stop this train at this point. It's kind of headed that way, and and, and with this, this the speed that you know people, I mean that that electric vehicles are improving and the, the less. Um, the less value that internal combustion cars will hold, you know, over their lifetime is d- decreasing, you know, as, as EVs get better. It's, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it looks, it's the, the, it's kind of set in sand or set in stones. One of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> Ford, Ford made a, a good comment, but I'll read their final paragraph. Okay. This is the biggest industry industry transformation in over a century, and the UK 2030 target is a vital catalyst to accelerate Ford into a cleaner future. Our business needs three things from the UK government. Ambition, commitment, and consistency. consistency. A realization of 2030 would undermine all three. Wow. And that's exactly what our prime minister did. Um, and Ford are spending billions. Uh, it was a pretty... 
it was a it was a stern statement and uh, uh and, and the crazy thing is industry came out as well like the chamber of commerce and they all kind of came out and was like three years ago you gave the auto industry a cast iron guarantee like bmw have just done a big deal with the swindon mini plan and from what people tell me mm-hmm. and i don't know if this is true or not but this is what people in the auto industry told me as negotiations were being finalized recently the uk government were giving them a cast iron guarantee they would not be walking back 2030 and a week later i mean if you're in the bmw boardroom and you see that uh, i would be calling whoever you deal with in the uk government and to be like you told me this now look it's a 600 million investment it's not billions that bmw are putting into the mini plan and there is some government money chipped in as well but the car makers just took their breath away because they're like but you just keep telling us you're not going to move it and you did just and what everybody said it was just to get votes uh and it's not even gonna work and and will it matter no will it slow down the move to evs as dom says no but if I was a CFO at a major car company and I'm signing off big checks, uh, these are real jobs that that they're playing with to get votes. And I didn't like that at all. I'm not massively into talking about politics, um, but I, that annoyed me because you are really messing. And you know what? It was aimed at people who are not perhaps as literate in this topic because they also cancelled, um, uh, they walked back uh, previous promises on how we'll make our new build homes better how because the uk actually has the leakiest new homes in europe and we need to to fix that right it's costing a fortune for energy bills and and, insulation they walked all of those things back as well and you know what it was a cynical attempt to appear more popular and, and what annoys me is it's aimed at those who are the least literate in this subject and it's what all of us i think this podcast tries to do is to help like just raise that level of understanding of electric vehicles, renewable storage, all those kind of things. Um, and we all learn stuff together. And everybody who has like a modicum of, of knowledge of this subject just spoke out against it. And uh, it was, uh, will it matter? No. But at the time I said, oh, can we all stop talking about this? It won't matter. And then I, I thought, well, actually, no, that's, that's the wrong thing to say. We do need to have that conversation as I've just done. So, so just to circle back around again and and to talk about it, these these numbers that Tom uh, found, you know, are, are pretty impressive. So I, I just wanted to mention them. Although, as he said, they're not like, you know, there's a lot of other considerations to to take into account. But uh, so the, the National Fire Protection Agency reports that there are roughly uh, 170,000 car fires every year. For every 100,000 electric vehicles, there are about 25 fires per year, and then for the same 100,000 combustion fires. Uh, combustion vehicles, sorry. Uh, there are 1,530 uh, fires per year. So that works out to be like 61 times more fires in combustion vehicles, which is, you know, crazy number. And, and um, you know, not one that you want, you want to take to the bank for any length of time because, for, as Tom was saying, like the uh, combustion cars, are, that's, that's an older fleet. And so they're bound more bound, more likely to run into situations where they're going to catch on fire. And we should remember too, that car fires aren't necessarily started by the battery or by the ga- gasoline in the gas tank leaking out somewhere. There's a hundred different ways things can go wrong and stuff burn down. So it's not necessarily an indictment on the, the power system so much. And I mean, Maybe maybe there is a big difference between them, but but we just with this rough kind of data, it's hard. You can't really see that for now. Yeah. So I just well, wanted I to th- throw that out there. 
Also, uh, I saw a comment here from someone who, uh, from uh, from Rich Morris. Uh, yeah, so our Prime Minister also said he was uh, he will never allow seven different garbage bins outside every home to split your recycling into seven bins, and there will be no tax on meat. And somebody had to point out they weren't policies. So someone's written his speech for him, and then I don't know who you know. I think it was the BBC with the first to fact check it and go. No one, no one has ever suggested seven bins or taxing meats, um, and that and it annoyed me, it annoyed me because I, I, I enjoy watching American politics because it's entertaining and Trump entertains me, um, and it was like it was a very close to home moment of some a person in charge just spouting nonsense, and I'm like, oh, I don't like it when it affects me, like when we we've got a leader that is just talking, just making stuff up, and I'm like, hang on, I don't, I don't like it now. So yeah, it was just it was a, it was a silly week. Right on. So uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, we might do another show on on this, like a like a standard standalone show, possibly. I think what we were talking about maybe Tom. Yeah, I think it's worth it. I think it's yeah, worth exploring. It's a- maybe we could have my friend who's captain on. Maybe we can contact um, the companies that are developing some new uh, EV fire equipment uh, right. products like the fire blanket and the right. other thing I mentioned that injects the water. I think we'll do a midweek show on this coming up some sometime soon. All right. Yeah, it sounds good to get some facts out there and, and see where all, you know, you know, fire, fire people, you know, have a, obviously a large stake in this and concern. And also there's, like you said, there's a, just different firefighting uh, technology coming up that, you know, we need to learn about. Um, so uh, before we move on to the news, I just want to talk about uh, my, my little video channel this week. So I did a video. Um, I took the so it's been a while since I've done this. So I have a, a used Tesla Model Three. It's a it was a 2018. I bought earlier this year, and it's got uh, full self driving beta full in, in quotes full self driving uh, beta. Uh, right now it has version 11.4.7. So this week, it's been a while since I've got this test loop in town. Uh, it's just like a circuit that has a bunch of just challenging sort of turns and situations. And so uh, so I picked up my friend Ashley here. You can see her if you're watching this on YouTube. And we went for a little drive to, I call it the dude loop. It's like the acronym for my channel, Drive Electric with Dominic. Um, so we went on a little tour of the dude loop and uh, sort of, it started up really good. So I hadn't been on this uh, software really yet on FSD. And it started out, it was, you know, things were going quite well, actually. We took a little bit of different road actually at the first part of it, but it still did things uh, pretty good until about halfway. And then it just kind of fell on its face, man. It phantom braking. It stops for a yield sign when entering a traffic circle with nothing coming. And this was something that it used to do before, too, and it hasn't improved. Actually, it did improve the first traffic circle I hit, which is closer to my place. Uh, it did it handle that one just fine. It was great but the the big not it's not a big one it's a small one but it's the one in the closer to downtown it just you know stops and then after that it's like it wouldn't go the speed limit it go up and the speed limit is like, i think 25 maybe 30 miles an hour there and it's i had to keep you know giving the accelerator just to keep uh it moving along because there's people coming up behind you you know you don't want to hold up traffic uh and then that's close to the very end <laughs> i had to make a, a naked left turn and uh, so on a particular turn, there's no light. And so there was a couple cars coming and the car pulls out. We had a good, there's nothing coming on the right, just on the left, you know, two cars. The, it was a four, it's a four lane street there. And the car pulls out, but it's like slow. It's like, 
like I had to, I had to really come onto the accelerator really quickly because they would have had to slam on their brakes or run into me. It was like, it was kind of like. Yeah, so it, it was so concerning. I'm going to, I think, run that same loop again just by myself uh, today or tomorrow. And so I can just give, because when I have a passenger in the car, we're talking sometimes. So it's hard to relay all the information that's happening uh, with, with the car. Because sometimes, you know, you, it's hard to uh, see on camera sometimes, like the little slowdowns and uh, just kind of weird, maybe pulls to left or right, it'll do. Uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to. Do another loop of that. So if you're curious about FSC, you know, check that, that out. But uh, let's move on to some news. So this, this week, uh, Toyota recently held, held an informational session called Toyota Monozukuri Workshop. Uh, Monozukuri means manufacturing. Mono is thing. Zukuri is like making. Uh, under the theme of charging the changing the future of car making. And they put a, a big press release about it. So... Not super, super interesting unless you're really a, a car manufacturing nerd. But there were some there were some interesting points. So in amongst uh, in amongst the talk of increasing mechanization and incre- using high gloss plastics to avoid painting and laser processing to achieve sharp character lines, there was a, a section about the next generation uh, battery electric vehicle demonstration line. So here we learn that uh, Toyota is taking a page from Tesla's innovation book and doing what it's calling gigacasting. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see this uh, three piece of a, of a vehicle here. Uh, there's a front section, a, a middle section, and a rear section. So they showed off this three-part modular structure that, uh, that are brought together to form the chassis of the vehicle and then demonstrated the process for journalists. So the rear module... Uh, takes about this, like the metal part underneath it. In, in the f- picture here, we see it with a seat and tires, but just like the metal structure, sub- substructure, um, it takes about 30 seconds to make uh, with this casting meso- method they're using. So the uh, molten, luminous, molten aluminum is poured into molds and rapidly cooled from like 700 to 250 degrees Celsius, uh, solidify into a single die-cast piece, making up the entire rear third of the vehicle chassis. So... This is normally built from 86 different parts in like a 33-step process that takes hours. So 30 seconds is a huge, obviously, improvement. But this seems a little different from what Tesla does. So in the photo of the area where the casting happens, um, it's on the Toyota Media website. I'm not sure if we have access to that right away, but um, we don't really see like the the big high-pressure die-casting machines like that Tesla is using. Those things apply like 50 to 60,000 kilotons of force. Um, so I'm not sure, but if I could be wrong here, but Toyota's approach seems to be a little less dramatic than that. I'm, I'm not really sure what the, and they, they talk about reusing molds in, in their press release. They're talking about reusing molds where the Tesla process, I don't think that re- those are like really expensive molds. I think that they need to use for a long time. It takes a really while. They're very complex and it takes quite a while and expense to make them. So I don't know. Uh, but see, there uh, there's some other interesting parts of this presentation as well. There is like just a, a solid state uh, battery and bipolar battery development lines. So not a whole lot of like details. You don't, we don't really see it's like cells spinning around, you know, uh, the manufacturing, you know, machinery there. But uh, it's just some, Looks like an inside of a, a car manufacturing plant. Uh, 
but they do have, I guess, you know, these battery production lines are developing that technology to make these new batteries, which are, you know, going to be good steps forward, I believe, if, if they're successful. So, Tom, do you find it's a sign that the uh, mighty Toyota and its widely touted production system is actually learning from a young automaker like Tesla? So, yeah, I think uh, I think everybody to some degree is learning from Tesla. Uh you know, whether they, they won't admit that, but you know, this, this startup Silicon Valley company came out of nowhere and literally it transformed the industry, you know, where, you know, they, they, the, time and time again, they did things that everybody said wasn't possible. And, you know, I, I get, I criticize Tesla a lot, but there's a lot of things that they deserve to be criticized for. Um, but there's also things we have to celebrate that, you know, they, they went out and just changed the way cars are made even now. And well, first, the, the, the biggest thing is that they proved that EVs could be, you know, viable, long range, fast charging vehicles, which everybody says was just impossible in the industry at the time. But but to the point with structural battery pack and, and these giga castings. Um, even the the streamlined interiors where uh, you know everything is s- simplicity which you know you could you might like you might not like but you notice everybody's following that path now whether they admit it or not I won't say everybody but a lot of manufacturers are kind of replicating Tesla's uh, in interior where everything is uh, minimalistic with this big screen that does everything in the middle mm-hmm. so yeah I think that 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 Tesla has influenced the Toyota I'm not going to try to go deeper into that um, and say that, well, this isn't as, as good as what Tesla's doing because they say it could be reused and Tesla can't. I don't really, I'm not Sandy Monroe. I don't really understand the, the full, uh, you know, manufacturing effects of, of the giga castings and how they're made. Uh, it could always, you know, guess on it, but it would be a pure guess. I just know for a fact, you know, to answer your question, your 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 quick question with a, in a long answer was absolutely Tesla has influenced uh, Toyota and everybody else. And that's a good thing. They kind of they've shaken up the industry and told everybody you don't have to do things the way you always did them. You don't have to make these tiny, tiny incremental improvements on manufacturing like we've been doing, you know, for the last hundred years, we're just making it slightly better, slightly better, slightly better. You could, you could just tear all that up, start with a clean sheet of paper and you can actually make something better, which Tesla's done. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely Tesla influenced here, which is a great thing for the industry. Uh, Justin Herman brings up a, a good question. And I've seen this asked a lot in a lot of places uh, with such big castings, what happens to insurance costs, a minor accident could it write off the vehicle. Uh, I, and that's the, you know, it makes sense. It's a concern that people definitely have. And I've seen it in a lot of places, but uh, uh, from what I can tell though, the reactions that I've seen is people in the industry, in the, in the auto repair and auto body shop repair industry, I don't see a whole lot of concern. I think they can kind of deal with that. You know, to a certain extent, I don't know, Tom, have you seen anything about this? Uh, well, you know, I have heard and and I do believe that insurance rates will will increase okay. um, uh, with with electric uh, with more electric vehicle proliferation, because it does seem that. More minor incidences are totaling vehicles, you know, and uh, uh, I, I noticed that when I had my I3 back in the beginning, it had that CFRP frame. I got T-boned on the side uh, at an intersection and I don't think it would have been totaled if it was uh, 
a different uh, a vehicle of conventional manufacturing. Uh, but my CFRP frame is cracked, and that's it. You're done. You're yeah. totaled. And you know we've mm-hmm. seen that um, with uh, EVs. You know where um, it doesn't look like the vehicle is that badly damaged, but you then you find out well it impacted the the battery tray or whatever, and it's like okay, it's totaled. So right. if that becomes more and more prevalent then yeah, insurance rates, I mean, they have to go up because if 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 a, a more minor incident is going to total a vehicle, the insurance companies all go on statistics. You know, if if right. more vehicles are getting totaled, your insurance rates are going to go up. So I think that's going to happen. But if you want to go long term, you know, I think as we eventually get into self-driving uh, vehicles, uh, you know, which I don't believe is going to happen in this decade, but, you know, let's say, I hope I'm wrong. At some point, we're going to remove the insurance component of it. We won't be paying for insurance. It'll either be self-insured because the manufacturer or who's ever responsible for the self-driving features will insure it, or the insurance rates will go down so much because so many vehicle incidents will be eliminated because of the the, the techs sure. getting better and better. So I do see over the course of the next five years or so, five to six, seven years, I think insurance rates are going to go up overall. Hmm. It could go uh, different ways then. Interesting. All right. Um, I don't know if, sure if we want to touch on any more of this. I think the uh, president of Lexus, uh, Takashi Watanabe, had said something similar about, uh, you, know, you know, not necessarily copying Tesla, but, you know, giving them props and, and you know, letting the world know they're kind of like taking taking notes, you know, making making improvements and, and not afraid to admit it, I guess. Uh, and they have some new concepts coming up this this. This fall, I think, for the new new modular sort of a, approach to electric vehicles, they're, so they're still, I don't know, they're still in their, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about what they're doing, Martin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the Toyota have got the problem that they're doing too well, and there's no push for Toyota, the board, the you know the accountants that run the place, uh, that run all big companies. Um, is that there's no real push at Toyota to take any risks and to rock the boat because they're still selling so many vehicles and they're still doing really, really well. And we talk about on this podcast and our listeners and viewers always try and be looking ahead in three, five, ten years' time. What could the world look like? Well, if I worked at, if I was Toyota and I was there and I was doing really well, I think, well, you know, we'd, we're doing just fine. Thanks. You know, have you looked at how many cars we're selling at the minute? Uh, we don't need you to lecture us on whether we have any electric vehicles on the market. Or, or not. I tend to, I like to think of, of companies like Apple uh, in cases like this because they were genuinely a really big company back in the early 80s. It was just them and IBM, really. And people always make the comparison between Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. And I get that because they were, they're such high profile leaders. They're so different in so many ways, though, I think. But if you look at the company, Apple, they were so successful. They were just, there, there was no reason for them to carry on innovating and changing and taking risks. And and in the end, they moved Steve Jobs aside to be sort of chairman, which doesn't really do much. And then they fired him and, and you know, did a sort of a hostile takeover and the board backed the CEO and, and not him. And then look what happened. Uh, then he, you know, he went away and did Next and, and Pixar, which is, you know, amazing what he put his own money into Pixar and, and created some beautiful art in the world. And Steve Jobs was, you know, an incredible creator that wanted to, you know, make the world better. And when he came back to Apple, Apple was properly broken. Uh, I remember, so I was born, what, 78. So I was kind of in in tech in the early 90s. And like they had a ton of products. You didn't really know what Apple stood for. And they were just in real problems. 
Uh, but they still had all the ability to cut. You know, they bought Steve. Well, they bought Next, and Steve Jobs came back into Apple. He simplified things, and he put that that sort of engineering that mindset back into Apple. And now, and look at where they are now. And I think his influence still runs through it. You know, so many bits of Apple. So I like to look at companies like that rather than the ones that failed. Because people say Toyota are going to be BlackBerry, and you know, Toyota are these uh, all these companies that. Kodak and stuff like that. I'm not sure they are. They're too big and they've got too many good people there for Toyota to fail. But I wonder if they need to have just sort of just have some tough years where they go, oh, we're getting our, our butts kicked here to come back really strong, make some great electric vehicles. Because it's sort of easy, isn't it, to say, oh, Toyota are going to be a dinosaur and go extinct. And I don't think they will. But at the minute, it's easy to do these press releases to say, oh, solid state batteries, hydrogen. And that doesn't really mean anything does it and they haven't really got to deliver i think because they're doing so well right. um I, I don't wish them ill but they almost do need to go through five ten years well, this, of this, 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 sorry you know. yeah this does seem like a course correction though you know like like they've come to the realization that you know the the path they were headed on with the the, the last ceo mr toyota uh isn't really isn't the way forward and it looks like they're really taking a you know Correcting and going a little deeper into electric vehicles, uh, a little more aggressively. Yeah, but I don't know, Dom. They're just talking a good game at this point. I mean, I know they're going to and they're showing some things, but I don't really see that big of a of a difference, you know, uh, personally. Okay. But let's mm-hmm. let let's see. They've been talking a g- good game for a long time, and right. you know, to, and sorry to cut you off, but but I did. Um, Go <laughs> I going back Martin. to Martin's point. <laughs> You know they really are um, doing well, and they're they're kicking ass on selling hybrids. Mm. And you know it's it's like that's their bread and butter. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about the innovative innovators dilemma. Um, that's a really interesting book out there. It just Toyota has really just cornered the market in hybrids. And I know a lot of companies make hybrids, but nobody sells hybrids like Toyota. They dominate the world market, not just Europe, not just the U.S. The world market. They dominate in right. in uh, in hybrid so they're holding on to that hybrid technology with their death grip and they do not want to give it up and they're they're gonna they're gonna hold on to it as long as they can and uh, as as martin said i don't even know if that's if that's necessarily a bad uh business strategy it might be the right thing for them to do we don't want to hear this you know and especially the people that are concerned with um, you know, which we all should be global warming and emissions and everything. But, you know, the, the, these companies, the, the, their number one priority is is make money, is is to make money and make money for their s- stockholders and all this. So in that regard, this may be the best move for them right now. Is it a good long term strategy? Will they be able to flick that switch, which they believe they can? Toyota believes when when the when the world is ready for electric vehicles like worldwide, everybody wants them. We can just flip this switch and we'll make the best vehicles because we know how to do this. We have more battery uh, 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 information and, and history than even Tesla, you know, and um, we can, we, we, we've got this. And, you know, so we'll keep telling you what we're going to do down the road. And we're going to we're working on solid state. and We're working on these castings and we're working on we're getting the manufacturing ready. And when that time comes, guys, watch out for us. Let's see if they can, you know, um, you know, uh, the 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 software is going to be a big issue because that's becoming such a big part of our vehicles now. How the HMI, the human machine interface, how we interact with the vehicles through through the the software stack. So the, you, even a fantastic vehicle, 
uh, you know, can be plagued if the software isn't what the customer expects. I mean, look at the ID4. I think the ID4 is a great little car. Uh, not even little. It's a great car, great family mover. Um, but it's been plagued by the fact that customers were not happy with the software. So um, let's see. Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, I think even on their own territory, I think Toyota needs to wake up. Like BYD just launched the Dolphin EV in Japan. And so that's a, like a, a shot across the bow, really, you know. And China's really come a long ways on on auto manufacturing and specifically electric vehicles. And they have some, you know, really incredible platforms coming and vehicles coming to Europe and soon to the U.S., the uh the uh, EX3030, the Volvo EX30, that's on a Chinese platform, the Geely SEA platform. Uh, yeah. So the uh, that Dolphin sells for about 25,000 US equivalent in Japan, which is a good price. It's a really good that's, price for what it's like. Very a, it's competitive. a bolt size vehicle, isn't it? Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, right. it's a family car. Yeah. Yeah, but it's bigger than a regular like the K car. They have those K E I. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little bigger than those things, actually. But like, uh, yeah. So, but it's still small enough, so it's, it could be very popular there, especially at that price point. Mm. Should be interesting to watch. But uh, let's we should move on, put, I guess, a little bit. I got to no? put Nicholas's oh, comment on here okay. because it's so true. Uh, <laughs> me, 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 slipping and calling the ID four a little car. I know it's you know. <laughs> It's so as as I'm looking at my F-150 yeah. Lightning on one side and Rivian right. R1S on the other side. Yeah, there's a bolt nestled in the middle of the two of those. You, you almost can't see it. So, um, but yeah, you're right. Good point, Nicholas. You got me there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I wanted to touch again on that uh, run on less real world commercial electric truck testing that's currently underway. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit last week. But um, so today is day 12 of, of 18 days of this testing. And there are already a, a number of interesting observations being made. So last week we mentioned that a Tesla Semi had managed over 800 miles in a day. Well, since then we've seen a number. Uh, we've seen a trio of Tesla Semis put over 2,400 miles down on the same day. Same so, day? This, uh, each each together, like commute. Oh. Yeah, like if you look at this, uh, that's what speed they drive in. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you can't drive 2,400 miles in, in a 24-hour period of time. Wait but, a minute. Yeah, but, you haven't presented that challenge to Kyle yet. No, I was going to say you can do it. Right. So, that's, so that's like 700 and something miles a day. That's amazing. Right. So one truck did 840 miles, 841 yeah. miles on this chart. Another yeah. did 726, and another did 821 miles. Wow. Um, and that's and that's sharing. So that's three trucks, and they shared two chargers to do this. They had each had availability of three chargers, but uh, I, no, I'm not sure. Maybe, mm-hmm. but anyway, there there was no overlap. They they managed to do all this. Uh, on a minimal amount of charging equipment, which is good. And they're also getting by on 750 kilowatt chargers, which they mentioned uh, the people running this test are, you know, talk about this being a positive thing because mm. 750 kilowatts is using that instead of the, the 1.5 megawatts uh, that's going to be coming out eventually. You're going to have a lot less uh, demand charges if you're, you know, you're only asking for, for half of the, the power at any given time. So it's just, it's just another consideration uh, with commercial charging. And actually we have an episode coming up next week, uh, midweek, uh, an episode with some people from uh, Terawatt Charging, which are, who is doing a, a commercial vehicle, uh, basically a charging network, but also not just like a public one, but like really geared toward commercials 
vehicles to start. But yeah, tune in next week and we'll tell you more about that. So they're charging these at 750. So the Tesla standard can do a megawatt charging. The Charin backed megawatt charger can do three megawatts at its peak. So, yeah. at, at its peak. And they're peak. arguing, well, we need three megawatts of charging for commercial vehicles. And, and you know, we're charging commercial vehicles here on 750 kilowatts. Still chunky, but right. they're getting by on that for this use case. I'm not saying we don't need the megawatt charging standard, uh, but Tesla seems to be doing, and there's a bit of headroom there on the Tesla connector because we gather that can go up to a megawatt as well. So that's interesting. Well, once yeah, we I have, think mm, I was just going to say real gonna, quick, uh, real quick, uh, once we have like, you know, uh, chargers on, along the highway where just any truck owner operator can pull into a, you know, and fill up, they might want to have, you know, the full three megawatts available. They don't care about demand charges and those stations should hopefully have, you know, battery storage to avoid causing huge spikes in the demand from their local grid. So sorry to cut you off there, Tom. No, not at all. Um, I deserved it anyway. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think Tesla, Tesla's uh, 750 kilowatt mega chargers are supposed to um, recharge the semi from five to 80 percent in exactly an hour. And in this test, in uh, Geotab's uh, data, it showed that uh, they were able to charge the vehicle from five uh no from 18 to 80 percent in 55 minutes so very it's cl- very close to what tesla is claiming um so this backs up you know tesla's claim on how quickly that uh, the semi can get recharged on these 750 kilowatt mega chargers so uh i mean that's not a bad stop under an hour getting up to 80 percent yeah, it's really i think it's from what I'm reading the comments and the different uh, from the different people involved with this who are not necessarily electric vehicle you know fanatics or anything i think that it's opening up a lot of eyes about the abilities of electric vehicles uh, electric you know tractor trailers commercial vehicles to really do the job you know that a lot of people were expecting that hydrogen would do say uh, and yeah, so that's, it's kind of a, I think it's going to be a pretty big deal this year. And I really can't wait till this thing is all over. Maybe we can get uh, some people who are involved with this program on the show as well to talk We're with so us. Lucky to get this data. This is just fantastic. This whole project is so good to see. Um, and I've not really been on top of it as much as, uh, as we could have been. So let's, um, yeah, if somebody wants to come on the, on the podcast and fill us in and how it's, and how they're, how they're doing with run, uh, run, run on less.com. Yeah, runonlist.com definitely go check it out if you're into geeking out on on data there's a lot of data a lot of different kind of vehicles <laughs> a lot of different trucks um and their patterns over the different days we if you're watching us on youtube martin is, is playing with some their their screen there you can see, just select the different days the different uh depots because they're different i think there's 10 different companies involved with a different assortment of vehicles and yeah you can see their battery charge their speed speed over the day how much how much what's at what speed they traveled most of the time so over 50 at, miles an hour that's brilliant yeah, over, right <laughs> that's great this is fantastic data we're yeah. so lucky to get this this is a real insight mm-hmm. yeah. and this is really the first independent test right of the semi like real world yeah oh yeah yeah and this and the semi i think it was really kind of like i would say peak class eight tractor right now but just because it has a large battery really and you know it obviously works pretty well i mean the e, we have the ekskd out there well as well and that's you can see what how it's doing on these charts but i think right now this the semi is the tesla semi is really kind of setting the the standard for yeah. class eight tractors 
cool stuff. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's move on real quick. Um, so we have some, we do have some product news this week as well, but not for vehicles coming to the U.S. Uh, at least not not yet quite. But the Audi Q4 e-tron has got a bit of a mechanical refresh for 2024, and it's going to be coming to the U.S. at some point uh, because we've seen some of these elements in other parts of the of the Volkswagen group. Uh, so basically, the Q4 will become more powerful, more efficient, have more range higher charging power, faster charge times, more standard features, and improved driver assistance systems. <laughs> I'm getting a call from my vet. Awesome. Um, you should see a regular doctor, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I had fleas, and so, you know, who do you call? <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, uh, so now the uh, in the Audi Q4, the rear motor in Europe, the rear, they're getting the AP550. That's the new rear uh, rear motor for this car. It's a permanently excited synchronous motor. It puts up 282 horsepower, and we've seen this in a number of different Volkswagen Group vehicles now, uh, including the, the i7, uh, which is a lot bigger than this. So with this new motor, the Q4 is said to offer 349 miles of range in the WLTP cycle. That's up from 30, 332 in the 77, from the 77 kilowatt hour usable battery. It's the same battery. Uh, 82 gross, I believe, 77 usable. Uh, and, and of course, the acceleration improves as well with the rear-wheel drive going from 0 to 62 miles an hour in 6.7 seconds. The top dual-motor Quattro Q4 e-trons can get to up to 62 miles an hour in as little as 5.4 seconds, which is plenty quick for you know a nice family uh, crossover SUV. Uh, so they say they've optimized the cell chemistry of the pack and can now DC charge from 10 to 80 percent in 28 minutes, which is a uh, it's still about like 10 minutes slower than like an eGMP platform car from Hyundai one day, but uh, it's definitely not the slowest. I think that puts it kind of in the realm of, you know, manageable expectations, I think, 28 minutes from, to 80%. Uh, prices in, uh, it's, it's going to be 52,950 euros in Germany. That's the equivalent of 56,400 here. Uh, that's before incentives, I, I, I believe. And Audi does not say when the U.S. market will get the updated Q4, but uh, I don't know, Con, do you remember if the ID, we talked about this recently with the ID4, right? They're getting the AP550 here now or, or for 2024. Yeah, I don't know exactly when Kyle was talking to them directly about this, um, you know, and he's been um, really uh, the one saying how much, how greatly improved it is. So unfortunately, I don't know exactly when it's coming. But the funny thing is that you mentioned that I had a friend of mine uh, reach out to me yesterday and ask me when, <laughs> when, when's the ID4 going to get that? Because he's interested in getting an ID4 soon. And uh, he's like, I want to make sure that I don't get one with the old software stack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, I think it was more concerned about the software, you know, right. and, and, and getting the late, the, the, the new software than, uh, than, than the motor. I mean, the, the ID4, I know it has more power uh, than the, than the previous version, but to me that, that car, like it, it was, it was fine driving yeah. out as it was. Every EV doesn't have to be a barn burner for, for the use case of them for 95% of the people, the previous, the, the, the current ID4 had more than enough power in, mm. in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. 
I, I, when I drove the rural drive version of the ID4 with it, with the older motor, yeah. I was a little underwhelmed with the acceleration. I, I really wanted it a bit more. I was, well, I was driving my Spark EV at the time, which was yeah. super juicy off the line. And, and this was like not that. But now, now with this new motor, I would go rear-wheel drive, even though the all-wheel drive is going to be quicker. But the dual, dual motor is going to have plenty of plenty of juice. And it, it, then you keep still get to keep your long range. And also that awesome turning radius that the, the rear-wheel drive version of the ID4 can has. You know, it's just amazing in town. I agree with you, but you have to understand you're coming from the perspective of driving EVs all the time. These these powerful instant torque vehicles. The vast majority of of ID4 owners now that, that buy or lease one are coming from a, a comparable ICE vehicle, and the ID4 as it is 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 more peppy, better acceleration, more torque, more instant acceleration. So they're already going to feel like it's an improvement. That's that's my perspective on it. That's a good point. But- is it a case? I don't. I didn't uh, clarify this, Dom. Is it a case that they haven't updated the single motor version, or they have? Because the single motor, the rear wheel drive version, stays at 135 kilowatts peak. And it's the dual motor that comes with the new software, the bigger screen, the 175 kilowatt peak charging speed. Um, but you said that they put the new AP550 motor on the rear wheel drive vehicle, and yet on the rear wheel drive, they seem to have not updated the got the small screen, the old software, and the old charging speed. Uh, and that's not that's not a motor thing; that's a battery thing. So uh, I was a little confused about this story in terms of have they not? They seem to have touched the rear wheel drive a little bit. But if you want all the juicy updates and the 175 kilowatt charge speed uh, peak at least, uh, then you want the dual motor. And that's got the big screen and the fancy software. I'm looking at the article here on Inside EVs, um, and it says equipped with a new motor, the Audi Q4 Sportback 45 e-tron is said to offer a range of up to 349 miles of range in the WLTP cycle, up from 332. So I believe those gains are from the the the, uh, the sing- single the motor, motor. wheel drive. Yeah, yeah, so that is the motor. But I wonder why the charge speed has stayed the same for the single motor, 135 kilowatt peak. But for the dual right. motor, you get the big screen, the fast charge. Look, you want the dual motor version. My problem with the Audi Q4 was it was too much like the ID4 because you know we 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 would tell our listeners and viewers in a kind of shorthand way. Oh, uh, it's you know it's like the ID. You know they're like a Volkswagen. It's Audi's version. A bit like we say, well, the, the kind of the Cupra Born was their version of the ID3, except the Born was uh, uh, really really good and looked fantastic and actually felt really different inside my problem with the q4 as it was was it felt too much like audi had i'm not gonna say rebadged and be that insulting to the audi engineers it just felt too close to a vw id it just didn't feel audi enough the materials inside didn't feel then again the material choice of the early vws was pretty bad and they've changed that with the midlife refresh so i think uh, if audi can audi fire sort out the ride sort out to make it feel more like just more premium because it's not a cheap car, very premium vehicle. That was my issue with this. Mechanically, I thought it was always all, all right. Um, they just needed to tweak it and, and be a bit more Audi. Maybe this is what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be nice to see it over here. I still haven't driven the Audi Q4 e-tron and I need, I need to do that. So maybe I'm, I might hold off until we get to the spicy ones because mm. because spicy. Um <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about another car, a new car. It's just uh, they, we just got uh, fo- 
so excuse me, pricing and specs Fiat revealed for the 600E. So 600E is a new a new model they're bringing back from, from I believe the last time they made it was in 2010. But this time it's all, uh, well, it's, right now it's all electric, but it's on the CM, ECMP2 platform, which is, uh, it shares with the Jeep Avenger. So they can put a hybrid in there too, if they want to make a plug-in hybrid vehicle with it. But for now, it's they're starting off with uh, all electric. And uh, yeah, so it's like like you might might imagine by the from the name, it's like larger than the 500e, but it's and it's still uh, but it still shares a strong familial resemblance to that car. The battery is 54 kilowatt hours gross, 51 kilowatt hours usable, and it's rated for 250 miles on the WLTP combined cycle. Interesting here is uh, it might be especially more efficient at lower speeds because Fiat claims it can get up to 375 miles in the city as measured by the WLTP urban cycle. Um, Charging-wise, it uh, goes from 0 to 80% in 30 minutes, which is great. It's uh, right up in there. So, Martin, how, how is this car being received over there? Because this is really a, a European vehicle, right? Yeah, I don't think it has been received by the general public um, very well yet. Not a, it's not a well-known car. Like the Fiat 500, it's not that level of awareness in the, the wider public. But I think, yeah, if you're a Fiat buyer or family buyer and uh, but the same can be said for jeep here as well reminder that to our u.s viewers that the the name jeep here it's a name obviously we think of it as being in the trenches and you know wartime and all that kind of stuff like jeep is a legendary name the jeep has less than one percent kind of share in that segment that they they sell in so uh they will probably do pretty well uh with the avenger because it looks pretty good the magazine the 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 car magazines are raving about the the jeep and i think the i think the automotive websites have been pretty generous to this fiat 600 as well Uh, not a huge car for the general buyers but so that the specs on this 54 kilowatt hour gross 51 kilowatt hour usable uh you said 250 miles on the wltp test cycle which is probably all right depending on um you know your use case 32995 is probably about right 33000 pounds seems about right i mean all new car prices seem too high in my head right. but that's right. just like anytime i see a price of a new car i'm like is that what a new car costs these days that's a, so it seems expensive well, low 30 like- sounds good though when i when i think about european or uk prices when i when i hear like those lower 30 i'm like okay that's for, for over there that's pretty decent right it's yeah like high yeah. 20s here i guess so so but i think all of the personality if i was um fiat where are we? Let me bring up the front of the car. If I was them, I'd just use the front in the in in the publicity pictures because it's yeah. not a great looker, but the front has all of the personality with those headlights that are right. half closed or sort of, you know, giving you side eye. Uh, all of the personality at the front end um, with this kind of, I don't know, fish mouth here. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, the pro- the profile is a bit uh, more pedestrian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but the front end is where all the action is. I'd use all these right. pictures. Um, right. so, uh, so yeah, we'll, well, I'll wait and see what it sells for, but I, I it seems, you it think it's seems up, about right. Yeah. Is this upmarket from the Jeep Avenger, do you think, or about the same? No, basically? we don't think, as, we don't think so, of Fiat, Fiat as a, uh, as, 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 you know, treat yourself, get a Fiat. 
Right. But I mean, uh, so the things that Jeep will be above it in the market, you think, as far as like perception, quality perception or? Yeah, they are. They are they charge going, more for it, basically. Yeah, because the Jeep has got that, that styling to make it look like it's more of a crossover wanting to be an SUV than it really is. And I do like the styling of the Jeep. They are kind of playing into that whole kind of, hey, want to drive up the side of a mountain? You need a Jeep. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, you'd get stuck in a muddy field in most cars, but, uh, you know, it's not a Range Rover. So I think they're jeeper leaning into that side, which is probably smart, actually, for the, you know, the marketing of that car, um, which is interesting because it will never, ever go anywhere near the side of a mountain and it couldn't cope with one. But whereas the Fiat, well, you know, they, funnily enough, they do play into the whole, you know, Italian fun uh, so with the Fiat 500, they really lean into right. that with their marketing over here, and and you know, and fair play, they're not being stereotypical, but it is you know they do they do sort of lean into that. So wonder what they'll do with this. I like it. Got a, got a word there, Martin or not Martin Tom? Sorry. Well, I was going to say before we jump on to the next uh, uh, news uh, item, I wanted to mention something that isn't in on your playlist. Oh yeah, <laughs> what? So. <laughs> Moving away from this running order, we're, we're gonna we're gonna move away from Dominic's running order here. I don't want the show to run out of us. We're already over an hour. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, hello everyone. What we have here is ah, yes. the very first North American charging standard to CCS adapter. Okay, it's not available yet. It's made by a Canadian company called A to Z. And uh, it's kind of useless right now because nobody has the agreements aren't made with the manufacturers to authenticate it. So I could roll up to a Nax, you know, a Tesla supercharger with my lightning, plug this in. It'll all it'll plug in fine. But the charging the supercharger is then going to try to talk to my lightning and say, you know, hey, who are you and how do I bill you? And it's going to get, uh, uh, you know, a blank no response. So uh, I'm going to really soon have uh, probably the CEO of this company uh, come on and do a short interview with me. And I'm going to talk about this adapter. Uh, right now, they're currently in negotiations with multiple auto manufacturers to get this. That's the, the, the company there. But I, I don't think you can find it on the website yet. Uh, I, I don't think they're selling it yet because you can't it, you can't use it oh um, it says but, it says discover so that you can't buy it but you can discover yeah. so yeah right yeah so um uh they're calling it the typhoon plug so they're in they're speaking with many manufacturers right now they've given them a bunch of these and they're testing them out they want to be like an approved uh adapter you know we've okay. talked about this in the past i did a video on adapter safety um uh you know month a few months ago on how the major networks don't want you using adapters that aren't certified and provided or sold through the manufacturer. So A to Z is working on getting this as the, like an official uh, adapter. They, 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 they appear to have high confidence that they will. This thing's okay. been done for almost a year. So wow, they didn't just wow. come out with it yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's it, they finished it and started building um, them in December of last year and providing them to OEMs. So um, this isn't something that just came out. Uh, it's rated for up to a thousand volts. It can deliver up to 250 kilowatts. Um, it's IP54 rated. Uh, it's got a kill switch, dual kill switch, temperature switches inside. Um, the only thing I kind of don't like it. It's hard for you to see under here. You see, yeah. You see here, this is a, a lock. 
that locks the okay. uh, NAX connector to, which mm. is great to have a lock, but it's a manual lock. When you put the NAX connector in it, you then have to take this and slide it forward to lock the connector so it's not able to be just pulled out. Right. I don't like that. Uh, I mm. think people are going to forget to do it or or whatever. So will it work I'm, if you don't? If will it work if you don't latch it? I don't know. I'm going to oh, find okay. that out more when I do. I'm going to do like a, a a bit of an interview with the with, with the company. I'm going to talk about this really soon. Uh, that'll be up on my channel. But right. um, you know that the goal of this was for the company. And the funny thing is, when when they reached out to me and said, "Look, we'd really like to send you one," uh, the first thing they said was. You know, we watched your adapter safety video and that's why we're reaching out to you. And, um, you know, they kind of said to me, you know, a lot of the adapter companies out there are are really like grinding their teeth at that video, you know, and they're 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 not happy with you. (laughs) But I wanted to engage you. They told uh, they they said, Mm. you know, and um, and I told them, I said, look, I'm all into safety. And, you know, if you get this thing safety certified, if it's approved by the manufacturers, and it, first, he said we've uh, we we have we have it out there with a bunch of companies. Our goal is to have it as the approved adapter. Number two, it's in the process of safety certification now, which got me thinking. I wonder how they can like um, ETL or or UL whoever's doing safety certification. I wonder how they do that. When you think about mm. it, you can't use it. Like the 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 the, man, the vehicle has to be authorized from Tesla, and Tesla has to authorize that for it to get approved. So how do they test it other than take it apart and make sure that all the connections are, 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 you know, high quality and can withstand the amount of current that's going to go through it. But as far as physically testing it, you'd, they would have to have Tesla and another OEM on board to have an agreement to authorize a specific VIN for, of a vehicle that they have to be able to run power through this thing. Otherwise you can't run power through it, you know? So, or I, I, I mean, I guess they could, but they'd have to ETL or UL who's ever doing it would have to make an incredibly complex thing. I guess, well, they'd have to have a a NAX adapter on one side, a CCS adapter on the other side. And, you know, that doesn't have an authentication process and just run the power through it for continuous hours and so forth. And I mean, I guess they, they could build something like that and that. They, the, this company would have to pay ETL or, or UL to build something like that. That would have tens of thousands of additional wow. dollars to build some kind of a machine that just runs power through it. Um, but in any event, uh, yeah, I've got one here. I wish I could review it. I yeah. can't because I can't use it. But this is what these things are going to look like, guys. This is, you know, uh, uh, this is this is what the adapters, I'm, sh- I'm sure other companies are going to have slightly different versions of it, but basically it's got to look like this. It's got to plug into a CCS1 charge port. Yep. On this side, it has to accept the NAX uh, uh, ad- uh, connector, and it's got to have the locking pin for the top that automatically shuts off charging as soon as this gets touched. And then uh, it has to have something that uh, uh, tethers the NAX connector to this uh, unit, because don't forget in the in the vehicle, when you're charging a Tesla vehicle, there's a little pin that when you put the connector in, the pin comes up and 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 goes into the recessed part of the adapter. And that doesn't allow you to pull out. So this would have to have some kind of a a, a smart uh, mechanism to do that. Uh, and it doesn't. It has this this tab that you push back and forth. So um, let's see. I'm going to do some more work on this. But this is this is the very first one um, that's that was made, and uh, uh, the company seems to have very high. Um, 
uh, and, you know, expectations that it's going to be approved and um, done. And Robert says, any temperature monitoring in that adapter? It shuts off the charging at 90 degrees Celsius. There's two points in here that if they reach 90 degrees Celsius, uh, the, the, it, it stops charging. Well, speaking of going to Nax and using adapters, we heard this week that Jaguar has finally made the, uh, the, the decision to leap, the jump. What do Jaguars do? They, they leap. At the at the next, there's a whole not, not a whole lot to say about this because at this point, you know, just about everybody else has already jumped on the, the next bandwagon. I think we're only looking at uh, Lucid, who can't really get great charging on the on the superchargers anyway right now because of the 800 volt system. Uh, Hyundai and BMW, I think, are still saying they're studying it. Yeah, but pretty much there's others still is, dumb. There's everybody hasn't gone yet. They all will, but um, right. you know, yeah. they're still. There's still a Volkswagen hasn't right. Volkswagen is the other one. They say they're studying it. Right. Yeah. So and, um, they're all going to, they're, they, they have to, it's, it's not even their decision at this point. They right. just have to switch over. So, yeah, there's a, a website, evstation.com has a list of who's in actually right now. They have like a NACS adoption tracker, which is yeah. great. And you, and you, I guess you can, oh, you can sort that up by automaker. So I've got 16 automakers on this list. To so me, I wouldn't even bother building something like that out because they're all going to be on the list soon. It's like, right. uh, yeah. Once the vehicles start getting pumped out with the Nax as an, as the native inlet, like you know when Ford and GM and everybody who's committed in 2025, those vehicles start rolling out, and if if everybody's not on board by then, boy, it's a bad decision from those companies. But yeah, you know. but it sounded like they were going to make this retroactive though. So if you have an iPace, there's a possibility that you will get an, an update, a software update to allow you to change. I don't know. You didn't see, I don't know. I see a lot. Of, I saw a lot of talk about the, the iPace yesterday and they show it on, on the Jaguar website. Um, well, the iPace is the only electric vehicle that Jaguar makes at the moment and they won't be making and it. And they're just they continuing this, it. They're discontinuing. Yeah, they won't be. Uh, they won't be making this when this switch really happens. Well, they'll. So they've signed an agreement with Tesla to provide drivers of its next generation electric vehicles with access to the supercharger network in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. All new Jaguars sold in the region from 2025 will have full integration of the North American charging standard without the need for an adapter. Uh, then it also says Jaguar will also source adapters from Tesla and support the supply of these two iPace drivers once available. So it sounds to me like the iPace will have access to superchargers as well, which is great because, you know, there's probably the iPace doesn't get a lot of love uh, and probably for some good reasons. I mean, I believe it had some pretty clunky software issues at, at the uh, at the start. That got fixed. Yeah, but yeah, and it's got some, it, it does have lots of good characteristics, you know, it, it's, uh, it, right, I'm just thinking of its off, of off-roading, they had, they had a, when they first presented it, debuted the vehicle, they had, they took a journalist off-road with it, and they were waiting, you know, streams up to, I think it was up to 33 inches or so of, of, of stream depth or water depth, but anyway, yeah. Because that's what most Jaguar owners do. Right, right. After coming back from the mall, you had a Ford River, right? Um, yeah. But anyway, I think there's some, like the Audi e-tron, I'm not sure if there's like that level of great value going on right now. I haven't had a check, 
chance to look, but it's definitely one of those vehicles that, you know, would suit some people. I like sitting, I like the I-Pace personally, but anyway, we can move along. Uh, There's another vehicle that came to the market this week, but it's not fully electric, but I thought we should at least mention it real quick. See, 2025 Ford Ranger plug-in electric vehicle has debuted for Europe, though it's not coming to the U.S. that we know of yet. Um, So this is a a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. It only has 28 miles of range, but maybe for Europe, that's enough. Is that enough, Martin? Yeah, probably. As long as people charge it overnight, um, it's probably okay. I'd like to see some bigger batteries going into these hybrids, but it's... Yeah, real life, real world. Load it up. It's cold. It's going to be 15 miles. So we'll wait and see. Okay. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot to say about this. It's not it's not all electric. And I didn't really spend any time digging into it because it's, you know, I don't know. I'd like to see a good 40, 50 miles on a plug-in hybrid before I really kind of take them seriously. Or this, 50 this miles be, should be the base. Right. The least and, should be 50 miles today. I mean... Right. I believe the uh, Volkswagen just launched the Tiguan, which is a, a plug-in hybrid version of the Tiguan in, in in Europe, and it's got 62 miles of all electric range, which is you know great. But uh, but the Ranger is such a big vehicle, you know. I, I thought we should mention it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah although probably too small for you. <laughs> I have one in my garage. Oh, you do? Okay, well, there you go. So that's perfect then. From 1988. <laughs> it's even a lot smaller than this. It's a lot smaller than <laughs> It's a little bit smaller than this one and, and better looking too, I think. But I, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do like, some... Vehicles like this, I think, probably serve a purpose with people who use them because we don't have trucks, so truck culture here, but um, who use these kind of vehicles a bit like you know, vans, there is probably, there is definitely a section of the truck buying public out there who need to be convinced of electric and two or three years in a plug-in hybrid means their next one will be full electric in the middle of the decade. So this probably will serve a purpose. Um, We know that the days of the plug-in hybrid can be gone if car makers want it to be gone but it probably does a job pretty well to convince those people who will drive around on electric and go oh it's just like a normal truck uh, yeah so yeah so urban asks uh can't wait to see if, can't wait for this one any news on fully ev pickup for you e for, for for eu from any manufacturer i believe yeah, there uh, is one hyundai that doesn't are they uh Doing something with a pickup oh, truck? Oh, I imagine maybe. Uh, no, there is one. It's made it? by. Uh, oh, what's the uh, the commercial brand that uh, that Geely is it? Geely own that one. Oh, right, right. SAIC. What is it? My. look. We can look for it and come back. That's it, Maxus. Maxus. Yeah, there's a Maxus. There's a there's a as the Maxus one over here. It's really. It's got oh. the analog. It's got the analog dials for the speed. It's got like the analog dial for the fuel tank, the petrol tank, and it yeah. just shows, like that's, that's a- like EVs of fifteen years ago. It's brilliant. It's awful. And uh, uh, and if you look with the with the Maxus truck as well, if you look underneath it, it's literally just the battery pack. 
And you think, oh, there'll be like skid blocks. There'll be a protective steel plate over it. It's like, oh, there, there's the battery. I'm surprised they can sell that in the U like that. <laughs> it, must be, it, it must be safe. It is pretty rough and ready. And it's it's quirky as well. It's like um, uh, uh, the MG ZS EV that we've still got, uh, the original version of it. It won't AC charge unless the doors are locked. Um, and there was that... There was that other one. There was other Chinese EV, wasn't there, over the last couple of weeks in Germany. Um, and the German car regulator, we don't, we don't get it here, um, okay. said, um, you know, you can pull the charge plug out when it's charging. And they're like, oh, we're going to issue a, uh, you know, people were pulling the plug out. And it was arcing and no one got hurt. But, oh, there'll be a software update coming for that. So it's you know, it's very, it's it's the worst of Chinese EVs, as in, right. we made a thing. If it's good, you like it. If it's terrible, tough, we made a thing. But yeah, there is an EV truck that you can get. And actually, it's not bad. I don't, I don't know, Martin. No, it is, it is quite bad. <laughs> it's actually. pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> but they did it. They, did, they made a thing and they put it on sale here as the Maxus. And Aussies get it as well. Uh, and it's okay. assist the brand to Maxus. And in the comments, you'll know. Um, uh, but they get the same vehicle as well. And no, ute, ute culture is bigger down under than truck culture here. So. Yeah, I think there was. I think I think there was another one called like the RD six or radar radar RD six. Yeah, that's right. the one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's another that. one. That, but I don't think that's is that coming to Europe. I haven't heard. It's it's a Geely brand the radar. That's right. Yeah, I haven't heard about but, whether that's coming. But that's, that's another one. That I guess to keep an eye on. But uh, yeah, we should move on to something else that you can get. Actually, so uh, I got some good news today and bad news on the bright drop. Uh, commercial vehicle like they make the big panel vans uh that you use for that fedex has has bought some so the bad news is that the cami assembly where they're where they're being built will take downtime beginning in october due to previously announced delays in battery module supply uh vehicle production is expected to resume in the spring of 2024 supported by the launch of cami's new battery module line which will have capacity to fully support bright drop production at cami and supplement EV production at other GM plants. So, uh, yeah, so they've GM really kind of ran into some snag with a supplier. Uh, they have some, I'm not sure what the exact issue is, but it has to do with their ability to put battery modules together. That's not happening. So, man, this van, which is like pretty awesome, the Kyle drove it, he loved it, is, uh, you know, they can't make them right now. I mean, but they but they are taking pretty good uh, corrective steps, I believe, if they have better the module manufacturing on that site in particular. So it seems like they have a plan going forward. But for now, they're they're kind of screwed for a few months. Uh, but the good news <laughs> is that if you've been wanting to drive one yourself, uh, you can now rent a Bright Drop Zevo six hundred from Ryder. It's just received the first of maybe 4,000 trucks it plans to add to its fleet by 2025. I think they have a the initial, the initial batch was like 200 vehicles, I believe they bought. Or, yeah. And, but I'm not sure how many they've received yet, but there are at least, at least two because we can see them in this picture <laughs> with, a, with a rider logo on. And they look great, actually. I just want to mention that. I mean, we've seen them with FedEx. Uh, uh, colors and stuff on them and they look fine but but this this is red kind of fading and i don't know it looks it looks not so bad actually uh because that was one of the kind of the things that you know we when we, this 
bright drop vehicle first came out, we were thinking of the styling. You know, it's a commercial vehicle that it doesn't really need styling. But if you look at like what Rivian is doing with the Amazon van, they look so friendly and, and cuddly, you know. And, but uh, anyway, I kind of like the way these looks. But so they don't know how many, we don't know how many they've uh, received so far, but they should be available at four different locations. Now, if, if you're interested in writing these down, uh, write this down because uh, I'm, I might go to one of these locations next week, actually, if I can, or in two weeks and see if I can uh, do something there. But so there, there are some at in Southern California at, at Santa Fe Springs location in Northern California in Hayward, the Dallas Fort Worth area has some in Saginaw. That's a little suburb there. And also Long Island City in New York State. So those are the where you can find the first, you know, few of these. That's going to be a unique experience. Tom, you're not far from Long Island City, are you? You get some. You're Let me unmute your, myself. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, um, and you, you so, maybe you have some a need for some delivery stuff. I don't. Know, I, I understand you've been doing a lot of renovation and stuff recently. Work recently. Oh God, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm renovating the house. So, uh, right. I've been using the lightning a lot. I'll tell you that for, uh, for loading, uh, that thing's been, I got to start taking more pictures of me when it's all loaded up with lumber and insulation and everything. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm not far from that. And that would be cool. Maybe to uh, reach out to these guys and see if I can, uh, um, you know, go over there and uh, really get a full tour of it. Yeah. I was thinking, but just like trying to do it as like Renting. a customer. Yeah. Like calling up yeah. Vance and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be you know, can I rent it on this day in like a week and a half or whatever? And see, well, it's I'm, not I'm that just, close. Okay. <laughs> oh no, it's just gonna be. Well, I was planning on driving up to Colorado, so this is like along the way. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this would be kind of a nice little stop to make. And yeah, maybe if I can't, I'm not sure how much they charge. I don't want to spend a ton of money. You'd I'm kind of probably spending a lot. <laughs> I'm kind of poor right now. Um, but uh, yeah, like in this. Maybe have a chance to get up close and personal and take a good look at it. That'll be good. That'll be good. I saw. I saw in uh, my notifications that Marquez Brownlee, Tom's new best friend, MKBHD, he has a uh, a car review channel called Autofocus, which is the best name, of. best name ever. Um, and he put a video out of the Amazon van uh, yesterday. So let's see how many views. Are, what is the interest in? He's probably going to ding us for copyright now. Um, don't, yeah, don't show uh, moving video. So that's, yeah. so that's had five four hundred and seven thousand views in less than a day. So there is interest in this kind of vehicle. Very, you know, in in well, anything he does as well is going to be huge. But that's really interesting that there is, you know, a video about an Amazon van. And okay, it's Marcus doing it, but um, like that's really cool. That's a lot of views. Yeah, I like that. I actually need to, need to watch this because I want to get his impressions on driving it. To, like yeah. a, lot, a lot of our viewers know that I used to drive, for, work for uh, FedEx and drive these the style of van myself. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm just, I'm rubbing my hands together, just thinking about, <laughs> <laughs> about getting behind the wheel and going for, and see, just see how it compares to my, my experience previously. Yeah. But uh, see, where are we? We, should, we have to go pretty soon, but there are a couple of things I wanted to mention real quick. Tom's got to go soon too. Uh, just real quick, yeah. Um, production electric go kart, a go kart you can buy, set a new world record over 100 miles an hour 
So if, if you if you like speed, no, no, nothing, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying there's nothing quite like going 100 miles an hour with your butt like an inch off the ground. Wow, <laughs> I had Tony. a go kart years ago that could go like 25 to 30 miles an hour, and it felt like 80. I right? just can't <laughs> possibly imagine that. I mean, that's like you know, I think a go kart, go karts for like you know teenagers or you know young teens that fun to play around with if you live in a rural area i did and i loved the, the go-kart i went everywhere in that darn thing but like uh, more than 30 miles an hour i'm telling you on when you're sitting on the ground that's nuts i mean this is like for professional like racing you know you're on, on a track it's in the know, go-kart you, you'd hand your 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 son the keys to him and say there, ha- <laughs> go have at it you know <laughs> no but uh like uh, so go karts are really popular in in training young people for professional careers in motorsport. So if you want to be a Formula One driver one day, this is kind of the level of equipment that you want to train on. I think, yeah, that's just uh, it's kind of amazing where they've come. There was a a really interesting electric go kart company in in the U.S. in in California. Uh, I might say like eight years ago, I think uh, Rich Richard Hillman, I believe, had a company that was making some really nice go-karts. I'm not sure. I guess it never panned out. They did it for a few years and had some racing going on. It was pretty interesting. And I'd kind of like to see more of that. I'm not sure what the interest level is in go-kart racing nowadays, but you know, I know it's a, it's a pretty fun activity. Yeah, no, kart- yeah, karting is absolutely part of the um, single-seater uh, feeder ladder into all the various, you know, ultimately Formula One, but um, yeah, he, karting is still huge over here in Europe. Absolutely, it's a it's a key part of how kids get into single seater racing, right. and then go into either whatever sports cars or um, you know Formula racing or that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. All right. So and actually going and, and actually going electric. Sorry, is so crucial on costs. So I know we got to go, but so crucial on maintenance of these vehicles and costs and all these kind of things. Um, and yeah, so it's not teaching kids how to fix an engine, but will they ever be doing that in the future uh, anyway? So not yeah, likely. absolutely. So brilliant. Um, oh, one last little thing before we go. So older Tesla Model 3s like mine, I believe it's from uh, produced, Tesla Model 3s produced prior to 2021 with a manual lift gate in the back or a trunk. Uh, Tesla is now offering a an $800 powered lift gate retrofit. So 800 bucks, you take your, your car to the service station, they do, that pays for the parts and the installation, but it's sold out. If it, it was just announced and boom, it's sold out fast, but it's something to keep an eye on. I imagine it's going to come back to the Tesla store pretty quick or pretty at some point. It's hard to say the timeline, but if, if there's something you like, I get, apparently some people are pretty interested in it already. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. So that brings us to the end of our show. If you have any questions or comments, Please leave us a comment below or get in touch with us on Twitter, where we are Batteries Inc. Pod, or on Threads, where we are Batteries Included Podcast. You can follow Martin on Twitter or Threads at EV News Daily. On Twitter, Tom is at Tomologs, that's with two M's, and Tomalogny on Threads. I'm Dominic Yoni on Threads in, and in real life. So don't forget, if you like the show, uh, please give us a thumbs up, click subscribe, tap that bell icon for notifications. Thank you all very much for joining us. We really appreciate having you here with us and we'll see you all again next week. Ciao.